0: chapter 3, which is going to be the primary place that we're going to be this morning, but I also want you to go to Matthew chapter 1. I know that it's not Christmas and you're not allowed to go to Matthew 1 when it's not Christmas, Uh, but I do want you to see something there as we kind of set up this message uh, for this morning, and uh, hopefully you received a bulletin when you came in this morning, and in that bulletin there is an outline for this message uh, please do not panic. Those of you who have the gift administration, you think you've got to fill in every blank on every uh, outline. I don't know how far I'm going to get in this message this morning before uh, our, my time is going to run out. Uh, I just don't want to um, rush uh, this, this message because I, I feel like it's so important, so foundational to uh, the remainder of the book of Acts, especially as we are studying uh, about the Holy Spirit If you're a guest with us for the first time, I want to welcome you. I'm glad that you're here as you are just kind of getting in on the front end on this series uh, that we're doing on hosting the the Spirit's presence. Uh, So if uh, you took a bulletin, there should be a connection card in that bulletin. If you take a moment and fill that out with as much information as you feel comfortable giving us, and you can uh, drop that in one of the baskets at the exit door, there's a gift for you. Uh, We're just glad that you're here to... uh, to worship with us and to, and to study God's Word. Uh, there is a verse uh, in Matthew chapter 1 that, uh, again, often we look at during Christmas season. And this is a never-before-heard and never-again-to-be-repeated uh, verse uh, that is given to uh, us And here's what Matthew says in chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through whom? Holy Spirit. Really good. is that Mary conceives the child who is going to be Christ, the Messiah of the world. And this is what I call, this is the Holy Spirit's activity when heaven invades earth. And that's the title of this message. When heaven invades earth, whenever the Spirit shows up, the miraculous is possible. Get that in your spirit. Whenever the spirit shows up, the miraculous is possible. If you are hosting the presence of the Holy Spirit inside your body as a temple of the Spirit of God, that means that the miraculous is always possible. Do you believe that? All right, we're going to test it. Now, Mary's response Uh, When she received this news, she said, uh, well, how can that be? Uh, Because I've never even been with a man. And the angel answered her and said, the the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will empower you from on high, and he will overshadow you. And here's what he said, for nothing is impossible for God. Do you know what the Holy Spirit's presence guarantees That we are not limited to the ordinary and we are not limited to the natural. That God can, can suspend the natural laws that govern our universe. That God can do anything whether it needs the miraculous or the impossible or not. He is a miraculous person who always changes the equation whenever he shows up. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, I'm not talking about naming it and claiming it and forcing God's hand. Uh, That's not what the Holy Spirit is is about. The Holy Spirit doesn't do miracles just because you demand that the Spirit does miracles. That's the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion says, well, you know, God, I've done X, Y, and Z. Therefore, you owe me A, B, and C. Uh, That's not how the Spirit operates. But I just want you to understand that when the Spirit shows up, the miraculous is always possible. But He doesn't do the miraculous just to show off, just to flex His muscles. There are reasons why... When the Spirit shows up, that God does the miraculous. So let me give you three of them at the outset, and then we're going to go back uh, to Acts chapter 3. Here's the first one is, is that to open a greater opportunity for the gospel of Christ. Or I kind of put it this way, God uses miracles in order to set up the message. God often uses the miraculous to set up the message of the gospel. Miracles can be used by God to open people's ears to the gospel. In fact, many of the miracles that Jesus performed, many of the miracles that the apostles performed in the book of Acts, as we're going to study that entire book, uh, you're going to notice that it sets up a person to be receptive to the message or the gospel of Jesus Christ. For example, when Jesus had his disciples, they were traveling along, and John chapter 9 talks about a man who was born blind. And, uh, and so, you know, he, uh, the disciples asked the question, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? He said, neither. He said, this is for the glory of God. And, and, and so... You know, Jesus brings healing, and as a result of the healing, it opened up the man's heart to the message that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah, and he received Jesus as his Messiah. God uses the miraculous to set up the message. Four out of five times that Jesus exhorts his disciples to declare the kingdom message, he attaches to it the fact that uh, we are to heal the sick. I find that kind of interesting. That we are to uh, allow the Spirit of God to operate through us to bring healing into a person's life. Why does he attach the two? Because oftentimes God unstops the ears, God removes the blinders, God softens the heart because they have experienced the miraculous from the hand of God. That's number one. Number two is to bring greater glory to Jesus Christ. We see this in Acts chapter 3 and verse uh, 13, as we're going to study about this miracle that that Peter and John are involved in, and with this man who's been crippled all of his life. But it says in verse 13 of Acts 3, "The, the God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. And so oftentimes, God does the miraculous in order to bring glory to Christ. Uh, For example, when Jesus, again, was healing, uh, there was one occasion that he was performing miracles and signs and wonders, and all of a sudden, 10 leprous men came to him. And Jesus heals all 10, but only one person actually comes back and thanks him for the healing. And so by coming back and acknowledging what Christ had done and thanking Him for what He had done, it was bringing glory to Christ while the others just kind of walked away and uh, just in badly misplaced priorities in their lives. And so many times people ask God for the miraculous for purely selfish reasons. And sometimes people ask God for the miraculous and say, well, you know, Lord, if you will do this, this, and this in my life, I promise you this is what I will do in return. But rarely do they actually respond. I, I have come across uh, several people who have made such promises to God, if you will heal my father, if you will heal my mother, if you'll do this, if you'll do that. And God came through, God brought glory on himself to bring about the healing, and then they never, they never followed through with the promises that they made to God. That was kind of the scenario with the ten lepers. It's like they receive the healing, but they refuse to bring glory to Christ, but one comes back. And again, even with the man born blind in John 9, it was for the the glory of God. And as you read the the book of Acts, the apostles are going to be doing a lot of signs, a lot of miracles, a lot of wonders, and their whole goal is not to bring attention to themselves. Their goal is not to say, look at us, how powerful we are, how in tune we are, how in touch we are. how how spiritually superior we are. Their goal, as we're going to see with Peter, he makes it very distinct, very clear. This is not us doing it. It's not because of our godliness. This is sheerly for the glory of Christ. God holds all power. I don't hold any. All right. Uh, If you're dependent upon me, (laughs) you're, you're in trouble. Okay. You're just flat out in trouble. But That the power can come through me in the person of the Holy Spirit as I live and walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Here's the third reason why God brings about the miraculous, and that is to fulfill God's plan. To fulfill God's plan, His purpose. Each miracle that Jesus performed was a fulfillment of God's divine plan. Now, look at this list. So let's just put it this way. When you are interested in the proclamation of the gospel, when you are living for the glory of God, and when you are committed to the plan of God, you are a candidate to receive a miracle or to allow God to use you as a conduit in order to bring about a miracle. That's God's, that's God's desire. That's why he does the miraculous. And he, he wants to use us as conduits by which he continues to do the miraculous. Let's just be honest with each other. Uh, We love to read about the miraculous. We love to hear testimonies about the miraculous. But when it comes to me being used by God in order to do the miraculous, you have just, yeah, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. It can't happen. God can't use me. God can't do it through me. And that is simply a lie of the enemy. And that is what has hindered the church of Jesus Christ because God does miraculous, still does the miraculous, and he wants to do the miraculous through you, not because you're naming it and claiming it, not because you're demanding it of God, but if we learn how to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, again, the Holy Spirit always brings us in alignment with the divine will and plan and purpose of God so that God can use us to bring about the miraculous in the hearts and lives of others because it might be that God wants to use you to bring the miraculous in their life in order to open up their ears to the gospel of Christ. That's exactly what's gonna happen with Peter. Peter's gonna perform this miracle and then God's gonna have unstopped the ears of his listeners, the onlookers, and then he's gonna give his second message and talk to them about Jesus all over again. So in light of Acts chapter three, I wanna ask you five reflective questions. Uh, We may or may not get through all five of them but we're gonna make uh, our best effort. So let's pick up the story, Acts chapter three, verse one. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those uh, going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. When While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, look at this incredible miracle. Peter says, look at me, rise up in the name of Christ, walk, takes his hand, and helps him up. Do you believe that God could do something like that through you? Okay, that was weak. So, so we got a lot of work to do this morning because the fact of the matter is God can do that through you. Because the same Holy Spirit that empowered Peter, the same Holy Spirit that indwelt him, the same Holy Spirit that filled him, is the same Holy Spirit that your body is hosting. And God is still interested in the miraculous. That's a good place for an amen. All right, so here, we're gonna work on this this morning. Notice it says that, that Peter and John, they were, they were going up to the temple. That is in the imperfect tense, which means that they were, they were constantly going to the temple. So uh, we don't know how much time has lapsed between what transpired in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were you know, baptized by the Spirit and dwelt and filled by the Spirit and And what actually happens here. And so as uh, Luke, the doctor is setting up this book, it's almost like the first two chapters are his introduction. And and he talks about how God is doing signs, wonders, and miracles. And then it's like in chapter three says, let me give you an example. Let me show you how God is, is doing this. And so and this really shouldn't surprise us, because you, you recall that back in the Gospels, Peter, James and John were a part of the inner circle of Christ, right? Uh, they were always the guys who were with him and for special occasions, and they were the ones who were sent to prepare the Passover and, and followed uh, Jesus uh, very uh, closely. And they were the first disciples, uh, the first disciples, the women were the first ones to see the resurrected Christ, but they were the first disciples to come and appear into, into his empty tomb and, and see the resurrected Christ. and they were kind of like in the fish business together, although they weren't very good at it. Uh, because every time you you see them in the Gospels, it's like they're never catching fish. Uh, but but anyway, Jesus helped them out with that. And you'll notice it says this man, he was crippled from birth, which means that he didn't have some accident. It, it, this is the way that he was born. And he was carried. Uh, he was carried every single day. And he was taken to this um, temple uh, area and he was dropped off and there he spent all day long every day of his life just begging for something. Now beggars in Palestine favored three locations they, they either liked to be outside of a rich man's house or on a trade highway where there was a lot of traffic a lot of trade or especially here at the temple because as people were coming to temple to worship God uh, one of the, the, the laws of the Old Testament was that they were to give alms to the poor right so uh, the, it was kind of like giving God brownie getting brownie points with God if I could help a poor person a beggar before and enter in a temple, it's like, okay, God, I did X, Y, and Z, and now you owe me A, B, and C. And so that was kind of the mindset. So there's a great place for him to be. But by and large, most beggars, like even beggars yet today, um, they are largely ignored. Uh, they are largely discounted. He certainly was not the only beggar around the temple. There were probably hundreds, if not more, beggars around the temple. But I want you to know something about this particular beggar, is that because of his strategic location at temple, that means that Jesus had crossed paths with this beggar on multiple occasions, as well as the disciples, who were going day in and day out up to the temple to worship. They worshiped together in homes, they celebrated together, but they would go up for prayer. So here they are at... The, at the second of the three prayer times that a devout Jew would make. One is in the morning, one is at three o'clock, one is at sunset, and they're making their way. And here this guy is at the beautiful gate on the eastern side that separated the court of Gentiles from the court of women. And uh, due to ceremonial laws, this crippled man would not be allowed into the temple in order to worship. And so for, as, as far as he is concerned, this is his lot in life. This is never going to change. We know from chapter four that this guy is 40 years old. So for most of his life, he has been brought every day, sat down, and there he begs. Now, here's what I know about beggars, some of what I know, not because I've ever had to be one, but I've certainly been around them, so have you. If you go down downtown Columbus, you'll note that there are a lot of beggars who sit on the sidewalks. And what is it that they do? They hang their heads low and they hold out like this. Or they just have a sign and something you can place money. They do not want to make eye-to-eye contact. When my wife and I were in Italy, especially in Rome, there were many, many, many beggars. And whether they were sitting or standing or moving about, they never lifted up their head. They always was just like... It was like they just had this overwhelming sense of guilt and shame and just, you know, they, they just felt horrible about themselves. I don't know. But so when John and Peter come across this man, you'll notice the first words out of Peter's mouth is, look at us. Now, why would he say that? Why, why is he forcing this guy to look, to make eye-to-eye contact? I mean, isn't it true that when you're driving, and you stop at a red light, and there's somebody who's standing there with a sign around their neck I need food, I'm homeless, I need a job, whatever. Uh, can you help? We don't want to look, right? We we want to keep our eyes forward. We don't want to look at them because if we make eye to eye contact, now we feel obligated to give them something. So we went through a rationalization in our mind. Well, they were probably dropped off by a group of people, and you know, and this is just a whole scam thing, and it's probably not true. And and so we just, you know, come on, Lord, get that light green, get it green, and and we move on because we know that if we lock eyes. So here's the deal. Every time I had my girls in the car with me, and we would pull up to one of those situations, and I'm keeping my eyes straight ahead, they're rolling down the window and saying, hey, hey, come over here. Why well, don't travel with me anymore? <laughs> Psalm 3.3 says, but you are a shield around me, O Lord, you bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. We hang our heads and we look down because we feel shame. and We feel we have failed God. We have sinned. We have broken his law. And the Lord comes along and says, you don't need to hang your head. I want to lift your head up. I want you to see my glory. I want you to experience my glory. I want you to experience health. I want you to experience strength. I want you to experience life. I want you to experience healing. Your best days are ahead of you. And so Peter looks at this man and he says, Look at us. And obviously, this guy is expecting to receive something from Peter, like money. And so, here's my first question of reflection Do I have faith? Do I have faith people can be healed at their greatest point of need? This guy thought his greatest point of need at this moment in his life was what? Monetary support. Uh, how am I going to get my next meal? How, how am I going to pay my rent? How, how am I going to make it if I don't have something in order to buy food? And so <laughs> Peter looks at him and says, listen, silver And gold, I don't have, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. You want to underline in the name of Jesus Christ, because every time you see this, especially in the book of Acts, 35 times, it is a declaration that there is power in the name of Christ because Jesus is Messiah. He will save us from our sins. He is Jehovah who saves. He is Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. In other words, he has been set aside by God, anointed by God to save us and to heal us and it brings spiritual healing and emotional healing and physical healing and even demonic healing that is a casting out of a demonic presence in our lives if we so need it. He will always be faithful to meet us at our greatest point of need if you will look up and look to him. In the name of Christ, Jesus came to bring that to us, to enable us to experience God's healing in our lives. And so you'll notice it says, watch this very carefully, in the name of Christ, walk, <clears throat> taking him by the right hand. You know, Notice this guy didn't just automatically jump up, taking him by the right hand. It says he helped him up, and it's, as he's helping him up instantly, and Luke being a doctor, he throws in these details. The man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk that word uh, to rise up and he took him, it means to seize him. In other words, he's operating watch, he's operating off the faith and the strength of Peter and and as, as he's rising up his faith kicks in, the strength and the power of the spirit comes into his body and brings about a physical healing. There is a contact here that God makes. That is God unleashes the resources of heaven through Peter into the life of this crippled man who needs physical healing and so God brings about a miracle in his life that opens him up for the message of Jesus Christ, and so Peter is the—he's like the conduit, and that's exactly what God wants to use you as. God wants you to experience miracles. He wants you to be the dispenser of those miracles. And you'll notice when God heals, he heals at the very core of this guy's being. There's not like, oh, now you've got to go through six months of rehab and get that ankle all strengthened up so we can get, this guy's been, he's never walked before. Have you ever watched a toddler try to walk? I have a grandson who's just now trying to learn how to walk and he's just like all over the place like a drunken sailor. I mean, he's like, and just falls out. This guy just jumps up, he starts leaping, he starts jumping and, and the, the, there is, he doesn't even have to learn how to walk. That's what God does. God knows what your need is. And he knows the greatest point of your need. You may think that right now in my life, the greatest point of need is a physical healing. And God may say, oh, no, no, no. The greatest point of your need is not in the realm of the physical, although you may have a physical problem. The greatest need in your life right now is in the spiritual. You don't have any spiritual life. You are spiritually dead. What you need is Christ as your savior so that God can breathe into you the breath of life, the spirit of God, and bring deadness and what is dead and bring it back to life again. What you need is Christ. Or for some of you, it might be that you need emotional healing. There is great, deep emotional woundedness in you. Life experiences have left you deeply wounded that compromise uh, your personal well-being. And if you leave those things addressed, those hurts, uh, they will give birth to false beliefs, emotional upheaval, and behaviors that are ultimately going to become devastating coping mechanisms in your life. And God wants to heal you of that. But you think your greatest need is X, Y, or Z. God always knows what it is that we need. And I love this. He says, silver and gold, I I don't have none, but what I do have, I, I give you in the name of Christ. Now, here's the big question. When it comes to the miraculous, whose faith did this healing? Was it the man's faith? Was it Peter's faith? Uh, Because it says, if you'll notice in verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, as Peter's addressing the onlookers, he says, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. By faith. So oftentimes when it comes to this issue of faith, how does that interact because certainly we know that the Bible says, uh, that, that Hebrews eleven six 6 says that without faith, it is, it is impossible to please God. So usually there are two extremes. Um, we always want to go to extremes. There are those who say, well, uh, it really doesn't matter how much faith you have. The only, the only uh, thing you need to worry about is the object of your faith. As long as the object is right, the amount of faith really is of no consequence, And then there are those on the other side of the equation that says, no, 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 no. It's not just the object of your faith, but it is all about faith, that God responds to your faith, and in response to your faith, uh, God brings about the miraculous. God brings about healing in your life, whether it is a spiritual healing, an emotional healing, a physical healing, or even there's a demonic presence that that God says, you know, has has got to be cast off, and so uh, whatever kind of healing that you need, God is ready, but it's all going to be hinging upon your faith. So which is it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's my um, humble but most accurate opinion about the whole thing. It's both. Is that cop-out? Okay. Biblically speaking, both are true. And I'm going to give you some examples because I don't want you to say, oh, Greg made that up. No, I'm going to give you biblical examples So I'm going to go back to the Christmas story for the first one. You'll recall that when Mary's relative Elizabeth, and Elizabeth had a husband whose name was Zacharias, and they were godly people, but they were barren. And as you know, Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus, the Messiah. And so an angel appeared to Zacharias in the course of his priestly duties, and he announced to Zacharias that Elizabeth was going to have a son, well, obviously, he knew that given her condition and given his condition, this was an impossibility, kind of like an Abraham and Sarah, Sarah scenario, and, uh, and we're talking about a miracle. And he knew that it would take a miracle of God for this to happen. And so, Zach, knowing his physical condition, Elizabeth's condition, he questions the angel's word. And we learn that he's speaking to the angel Gabriel, who had come straight from the presence of God, Alright. So what's more is that because he didn't believe in the Holy Spirit's ability to do the miracle, God gave the miracle to Elizabeth, placed John the Baptist in her body, and so now Zacharias has to spend the entire pregnancy in silence. In other words, Zach's lack of faith kind of disqualified him from experiencing the full enjoyment of what it is that God was doing in his life in the life of his wife. In participating in this activity of God, his, his response did not change what God had planned to do, but it sure did change his enjoyment as God was doing it. Now, contrast that with Mary's response. When she was saying, look, uh, Lord, uh, how is this going to be? I, I, I have no ability. I have not been with a man. And, and even in the declaration of God, she submits her faith and she says, you know what, Lord, I am your servant. Do to me as you please which is an incredible, incredible statement of faith. Because remember, the angel said to her, nothing is impossible for God. And what she was saying in essence by declaration was, I believe that. Now, there are other examples, and if you want to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 9, in fact, I'm going to give you three of them very quickly. This is right out of God's word. It's, it's not going to be with comment. It's just uh, this is what happens. So in Matthew 9, in verse 1, it says, Jesus steps off a boat. He comes into a town. Some men brought to him a paralytic laying on a mat. It says, when Jesus, watch this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Right? When he saw their faith. And then verse uh, 6 it says, he said to the man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He brings about healing. And then if you'll notice in verse um, 22, here's a woman who had been um, subject to bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind Jesus, touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her and says, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. Or jump down in verse uh, 27. Jesus went out, two blind men were following him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And so why, why don't we see more supernatural intervention like this? Could it be that we just don't expect it? Could it be that we kind of struggle in the area of our faith? We, we believe God can do the miraculous and uh, at least in our, in our minds we believe it, but we're just not willing to come to the point that we are actually willing to trust God for the miraculous for ourselves or for God to use us to bring the miraculous into the heart and life of somebody else. So there's this faith issue. Again, this is not presumption. That is, you cannot presume upon God that oh God, you have to do it my way and my timing, and uh, you know you, you just respond to me, God, because I'm coming in faith. That's not the way God works. That's not the way the Holy Spirit works. But having said that, it does not mean that we should never ask God boldly for what we believe is within His will to grant. You see, uh, Jesus was so in tune with the Holy Spirit, right? So dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. So as we see Peter and John going to temple, as they were regularly doing... They were so in tune with the Spirit of God. They were so walking in tune with him and so filled with him that I believe that when they came across this beggar man whom they have probably tripped over many times and even Jesus walked around on many occasions at this moment in time, God said, I'm bringing healing. I'm going to expand my glory through the life of this individual. I'm going to bring healing and Peter, I'm going to use you to do it. And so the Spirit impressed upon his mind and his heart to stop, ask this man to look at you and offer him what it is I want to give to him that's faith I think the reason why we don't see more of the miraculous is because we we are not walking in the fullness of the spirit we are not in tune with we are not in touch with the spirit's voice we live in a time in which we love noise right people do not like silence anymore I mean, if you're doing counseling and and if you just sit there silent and somebody stops talking, all of a sudden, like, it's this weird vibe in the room. It's like, man, somebody needs to talk. Or if you're leading a small group and all of a sudden everybody becomes quiet, it's like you as the leader. It's like, man, I I, got to get conversation going again. And for many of you, you get up in the morning, and there's just noise around you all the time. You have small children, and you you, you have news on the television, or you've got a radio on, or you're talking to Alexa and telling her to, to play music for you, and you're in your car, the radio is going, and there's never a time in which there is silence. There's never a time in which you are just sitting in the presence of the Spirit, asking Him to just give you a, a, a ears with which to hear Him, and eyes with which to see what He's doing, and, and in tune with His voice, we're going to talk about how to be, how do you know when the Spirit is talking to you? me just give you this out right out front is that listen, if the spirit of God, you feel like the God spirit is prompting you, if he's not asking you to do anything unbiblical, immoral or unethical, you just assume it's him speaking and you act on it. What would happen if we learn how to walk in the fullness of the Spirit as you're going to see all throughout the book of Acts constantly, the filling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit, if we walk so in tune with the Spirit that if the Spirit of God was to stop me dead in my tracks and say, I want you to go over to that person and I want you to tell them in the name of Jesus, you're going to rise up and you're going to walk. Would you do it? Well, It depends on my faith, right? My level of trust. Or am I going to sit back and go, well, you know, uh, did I just think that up? Is that from the enemy? Why do you think Satan wants you to go over and have somebody healed? I, well, you know, he's just going to get me over there, and I'm going to say, rise up and walk, and it's not going to happen, and I'm going to look foolish. i got to protect God's reputation. I can't do that. Will you stop trying to protect God's reputation? He doesn't need you to protect it. God wants to operate through you. And so we find this, I mean, about faith. I mean, Mark chapter 2, when the paralytic, uh, there's a guy who was paralyzed. Their friends ripped off the roof and dropped him in front of Jesus. Jesus said, man, I don't see such great faith like this. We need to rip off some roofs, right? If the Spirit tells us to rip off a roof, we need to rip off a roof. We cannot be timid. Faith says God can do it, but faith also says that I'm going to live as though it's already done. So in answering the question, you know, Jesus, it says that Jesus did not do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. You see, I think that faith is a prerequisite to the miraculous. How much faith do I need? Well, Jesus said, if you have faith of mustard seed, you can tell this mountain to jump into the ocean and it's going to happen. God can do whatever God wants to do. He's just waiting for those of us who would believe the Spirit and walk with the Spirit and choose to respond to the Spirit. I mean, how much faith does it take? If you go to 2 Kings, you'll read a story there where the prophet Elisha, who who God used to do the miraculous. The prophet Elisha is dead. He's buried. His, bo- his bones are in the, in, the, in the tomb. And it says the Moabites were constantly raiding Israel. And so there was a group of guys. They had a dead body. They were going to bury the body. And they saw the raiders of the Moabites coming. And so they took the body and threw it on top of the bones of Elisha. And the guy got up and walked out. Who had more faith, Elisha or the guy who, who got healed? God can do what he wants, but he operates by and large through faith. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to live in obedience to him. He wants us to listen to the spirit of God and be so in tune with the spirit that if the spirit says, listen, I want you to, I want you to pray over this person. And I don't, I don't want you to just pray like, if it be thy will, Lord. No, I want you to pray, God, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You're healed. If that's what the spirit wants, that's what we do. do so the question is, do you, do you have Do I have faith that people can be healed at their greatest point of need? And here's the second one, and uh, probably this last one we're going to get to. Do I believe God can use me or you to make that happen? You'll notice that God brought about the miracle, but He used an individual to bring it about. That's the way God operates. If you want to be a candidate for the Holy Spirit's use, then living for God and pleasing him and having passion in your life for him is going to be a part of that. And so that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Peter wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. We know that. And, and God's not looking for perfection. We all sin. We all mess up. We all have to, you know, we all at times grieve the spirit and quench the spirit. And we have to deal with those sin issues in our lives. It's not an issue of whether or not you are perfect. But I just know this. that If Satan wants to keep you from experiencing the power of the spirit, all he has to do is kind of dim, uh, he has to the, just kind of dim the flame on your Christ burner. What, the the people that God uses to bring about the miraculous are those who are walking with with the Lord, and so it is so. And we're going to talk about this next week. It is so essential that we are in intentional about our walk with Christ. Listen, I, I was telling my guys this morning, there was, you know, I, I wanted God to use me in greater and more profound ways, and, and one of the things, uh, as I was, you know, praying, the Holy Spirit says, listen, if you, if you really want me to use you in, in, in the miraculous, then there, this, has be, this has got to leave your life. Now, it wasn't necessarily anything sinful or bad or horrible, but the Spirit just said, look, if, if this is what you want, if you want to go deeper, if you, want to, if you want to be more in touch and more in tune with me, this must go. I thought, what? You know, I struggled for almost a year to let it go. But once I did, it was an incredible... F- Incredibly free, and, and what, what God has has done. So, God wants to use you. Now, here is what we're most comfortable with. I we're we're not. If somebody comes to me and says, "You know, Pastor, um, I, this is what the doctors say. This is my physical condition." Will you pray over me? Now, what's most comfortable for us is to just petition God, right? To pray on behalf of the person. Uh, Lord, you know, um, Susan has come. She has this physical condition. God, if it be your will, I would just pray healing. And, you know, this is why I used to pray. And, uh, and so I'd just be petitioning God that God would just directly, boom, uh, power from heaven, down on earth, touch her body, bring about healing. And uh, so then, then I was challenged, then I was challenged, well, let's stop petitioning God and let's do direct ministry. Direct ministry means Susan has come to me, uh, she has this physical problem, uh, situation is to lay hands on her and pray that in the name of Christ that she would be healed, All right? That, that's the difference. Now, the reason why we're so much more comfortable with the petitioning is because if God doesn't answer in the affirmative, if she is not healed, then that's on God. But if I lay hands on this person and I pray healing over them and it does not happen, now it's on me. I got egg on my face. At least that's the way I perceived it. But what is it that God wants to do? God wants to do direct ministry. Watch this. Out of all the healings all throughout the Bible, not one of them ever came as a result of just petitioning God. They all came as a result of either somebody touching, commanding, um, speaking. Uh, sometimes things, ob- as we're going to see in Acts, sometimes objects were used. If you look at the healing ministry of Jesus, Jesus did it in multiple different ways because sometimes he had to help prop people's faith up. So he would, have, he would start you know, the healing process and then he would have them do something. And in their actions, it was kind of, kind of propping up their faith or lack thereof. And so Jesus, there was no cookie cutter way that Jesus brought about the miraculous, but there was always direct. So what God wants to do is he wants to pour the power from heaven through you in the person of the Holy Spirit and dispense that upon the person that you are praying for and praying over. Does that make sense? That's God's desire. That's God's way. That's the default of the kingdom of God, is to bring about healing and miracles and signs and wonders because we are willing to be used of him as ministering Individuals. Now, I'm not saying that. Uh, uh, please do not get me wrong. Do not hear me wrong. I'm not saying I'm going to throw open the doors of my church and have you know a big healing service here and have everybody from the Columbus come and and let me pray over them, and heal. That, no, I don't. That's not what God, uh, here's, my, here's my goal, my desire, is that we as a congregation will learn how to walk so in tune and in touch with the Holy Spirit of God that as we are doing that, God will bring about the miraculous because the Spirit of God wants to bring about the miraculous and he speaks to you and says, listen, this is the person I want you to pray for or pray over. This is the person that I want you to, you know, to minister to who has a deep emotional woundedness that needs healing, a touch from God's hand in order for them to move on Life and to experience the freedom of Christ, that you'll be so in tune and in touch with the Spirit that you will not even hesitate in doing that. Yes. Uh, last Sunday night, uh, Matt and Esty shared um, their testimonies, and uh, Esty's father was agnostic. She grew up in an agnostic home until so she was early in her teens. He had an accident, broke a vertebrae in his neck. Some faithful people who were in tune with the Spirit came and laid hands on him, prayed over him, and God instantly healed him, which opened up the pathway to the gospel. He gave his life to Christ and became missionary. Her parents are still missionaries. And one person asked Matt, "What's your giftedness?" He said, "Miracles." Know this that Matt um, Matt has prayed for eight couples who were unable to have children. All eight of them now have children, and two of them have sets of twins. See, God wants to do the miraculous. We're the ones who are hesitant. You know, As I shared before, recently Wanda Ernest um, was praying with our ladies at the women's retreat. God healed her hands of a condition that she'd been dealing with for years. She went to the doctors this week and said, um, uh, yeah, God, God did it. And they said, well, that can't be possible. Um, you need some, a different cream? She said, well, look at my hands. They're healed. What, what more do you want from me? Her daughter-in-law, um, Stephanie, um, Ron and Wanda's son, David and Stephanie, I, I had privilege doing their, their wedding, gosh, 15 years ago. And uh, Stephanie went through a couple years ago about with breast cancer. And uh, it was a very long, painful experience for her. Uh, The doctors told her a few weeks ago that we have found lesions on your spine. We believe that the cancer is back, and uh, we're going to do a biopsy and determine what kind of treatment we're going to be looking at. And so uh, I was alerted to that, and so I said, well, bring her to our prayer team. Um, So on Christmas Eve, after the morning service in this church, she and David came to my office, Tom and and Teresa Myers are very instrumental in our prayer team, and uh, they weren't here. They were working. And so it was Marla and I and and Wanda, and we'd ask uh, Lydia to come. And so we're flying solo, I felt like. I thought, Lord, uh, but we can do this. This is what God's commissioned us to do. And we did. We we laid hands on her, we prayed God's healing over her. And. they went away for a week as another, a week went by before the biopsies were going to be done. And so they got back. She had been telling everyone, I believe God's healing me. I believe God's healed me. And uh, her parents came the day that she was to receive the word from the doctor about what the biopsies revealed. And the doctor came back and said, there's absolutely no cancer. See, God, God does the marriage. I'm I'm not a faith healer, but I have faith that God can heal. And I think that that can be, I think that can be more of the norm than the exception. Here's what I discovered: when I didn't pray for people's healings directly in direct ministry, I didn't see very many healings. But when I stepped out in obedience to the Lord, I've seen a lot of healings. But it's not Greg, it's like Peter and John says, or it's like Peter said, the, the, it's not my godliness, it's not me, I don't have the power to do anything. God has the power and the ability to do it. The question is, do we, do we believe that God can use us as partners in the process of bringing about the miraculous? And the fact of the matter is, God can, he can use you. I don't care who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are hosting the Holy Spirit. God can use you just as he can use anyone else in order to bring that back. I could just tell you one thing after another, but my time's up. But I'm just incredibly, incredibly so grateful. I, I, my wife and I, we're like, we're like infants in this whole realm of thing, man. I mean, like, we are. we just like, we don't know what we're doing. We just feel like we never know what we're doing, and uh, I'm so appreciative of the God who's God surrounded us with people to help us in this process. We're, 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 we're on a learning curve here, right? And we, But we're just believing God for bigger and greater things, and so it was no accident that, I, that God brought into my heart Isaiah 61 to say, listen... This is what God anointed Jesus to do. This is what Jesus handed down to his apostles. This is what God has handed down to us as the body of Christ. And this is the year of the Lord's favor if we will learn to walk in tune with the spirit of God and allow God to bring, to operate through us the miraculous. Has everyone that I've prayed for gotten healed? No. Am I batting a thousand? Not even close. That's not my doing. That's God's doing. Sometimes God delays physical healing because there is a spiritual or an emotional issue that has to be dealt with first because if you brought the spiritual healing, that person would just walk off and never deal with what the real issue is. And so sometimes it's more progressive. But I still don't bat a thousand, but I, it doesn't matter. This is what God has called us to do is to bring hope and healing into the lives of people. As we pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's bow our heads together. If You're here this morning and you know about Jesus. You've heard about Jesus. But there's never been a time in your life in which you have crossed that line of faith to receive Jesus into your life to be Savior. The only one who can forgive you of your sins the debt that we have that you accumulated against God that you cannot pay. And the Bible says that in your spirit, you are spiritually dead. You have no power to bring life within yourself. That's why Peter said to those who were onlookers, you guys, you killed the author of life. Jesus is the author of life and he wants you to experience life, true eternal life. Death, his burial, his resu- res- resurrection made that possible. So, if you're here this morning, before you leave, as we're going to sing here in just a moment, and before you leave, if you have any questions about what it means to have a relationship with Christ, I—I will be here at the front. I would love to talk with you. Or you can just come during during this time of invitation. We're just praying, Holy Spirit, come. Maybe you're here and you are in need of some kind of healing in your life, whether it be physical or. Maybe it's a, it's a spiritual issue. Maybe it's a, 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 an emotional issue. And you just need somebody to pray with you. We have those here this morning. who would love to do that. And so before we, we depart to our own ways, let's just ask the Holy Spirit to speak, to meet us at our greatest point of need. And have the faith trust Him to bring about the healing that we so desperately need. So, Father, I, I, just, I just open this up. It's, it's your will. Have your way. May the Holy Spirit speak. May you give the church ears with which to hear what the Spirit is saying. May you minister to the hearts and lives of your people. For those who need to experience forgiveness of sin, God, may they experience it. For those who need to walk in freedom, God, may you set them free. We know the truth. The truth of your word is what sets us free. And whom the Son has set free, they are free indeed. So I pray, God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would speak, reach into our hearts, and draw us to you. In Jesus' name I pray.